Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, we've been in the book of Ephesians for eight weeks, and this is the ninth week, I guess, that we're in it. And we've been uh, looking at it through the subject or through the, the lens of unity and trying to pull the, the message of unity that's within. And it's pretty direct in a lot of spots, and some spots may not be. And I, I don't know if I've ever done this with a book of the Bible before where I, I kind of looked at it through a subject and seen what it has to say. Um, but this is, uh, this is interesting stuff when it comes to uh, Ephesians and the scriptures that really, really speak to unity. Um, unity is one of those life messages for me. It just is. I, I always seem to come back to it. And whether it's our personal unity with Christ or unity in his church or unity in our families, the Bible speaks a lot about this subject. It's also one of the last prayers that Jesus prayed on the earth. Father, make them one even as you and I are one. So far, we've really just been talking about our personal unity with Christ and being in him. Uh, we know that Ephesians uh, uses that phrase, in him, like 36 times. I've mentioned that several times. This is the beginning of all unity in our lives, being in union with Christ ourselves. That's the foundation, if you will, of being uh, of unity in every area of our life. So today, as we continue on in Ephesians chapter 2, we begin to see a shift so, so uh, we're going to really get into the second part of our series. We've been on Roman numeral number one the whole time so far, and now we hit Roman numeral number two, the second part of the series, unity in the body of Christ. Unity in the body of Christ. We, you know, we all love unity stories, right? Stories where people had to come together in order to overcome some impossible obstacle. And uh, one of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans. Anybody like that movie? Good football movie. It's, it's based on the true story of, of 1970, the 1971 Virginia State football champions from T.C. Williams High School. And, and T.C. Williams had merged with two other high schools and became much more integrated than they had been. Coach Yost, who, had happened, who happened to be white and was the original head coach, was, was forced to give his position to Coach Boone, who happened to be black. And the movie depicts the racial tensions that Affirmative action always seemed to create. The team is racially divided and even sits segregated on the bus the day they leave for football training camp, and Coach Boone forces them to sit together. He puts offense on one bus, and he puts defense on another with no regards to race. He forces the issue, and they end up coming together as a team and winning the state championship game as a direct result of being unified. They overcame their obstacle of racial divide. And the movie takes a lot of liberties with what really happened. I've read a lot of the true story of, of T.C. Williams High School. Um, and, and most of the time, based on a true story, when a movie says that, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of extra stuff in there or different stuff than the true story. But the point is made so clearly in this movie. It took unity, it took coming together for success to be achieved. If only believers in Christ could learn this lesson, if we could remember that oneness with our brothers and sisters in Christ, coming together, laying down the minor things that separate us so that we can be successful in achieving the major things that we are called to do. It's beyond important. It's essential if we are ever going to succeed in all that God has called us to do. 
And I don't know about you, but I want to succeed in that which God has called me to do. I hope you do too. I hope as a church, we want that. We want to fulfill the calling that he's put on us individually, but on us as a church in this community for such a time as this. I, I go back to Psalm 133, and I'm going to read the whole psalm to you. It's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's three verses, you know, so I think you can handle a whole chapter, a whole psalm. But it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life evermore. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Where does he command the blessing? Where unity is found between brothers and sisters in Christ. When unity is found between those who love God. When they become one. When they come together for a common goal. When unity is found like that. When oneness is found. God says, I'm going to command my blessing into that spot. I want to be in that spot. I like to be blessed. But it seems to me that there's something even more than just being blessed. You know, you can kind of walk through life and, and you love God and God blesses you. But when he commands the blessing to come into that place because of your unity, that's an awesome thing. That's an awesome place. And we know that unity brings, uh, in the scripture, I've, I've preached on it so many times and, and teach it in my connections class all the time. But, but unity between the brothers and sisters in Christ, unity is like oil. It brings the anointing of God. That's, that's sim symbolic of the anointing. And when they talk about the dew of Hermon, it's really talking about fruit because at the base of, a mount, of Mount Hermon, the dew falls so thick and it's so unbelievable that the crops are amazing there. So you got the anointing and you got fruit where there's unity and God commands his blessing in that spot. Love that psalm. I could preach on that psalm. And that's not even my scripture this morning. So let's just jump into our text in Ephesians today. Ephesians 2, 11 through 12. We're just gonna start with two. Don't forget that you Gentiles, this is Paul talking to the, the believers at the church of Ephesus, those that lived in Ephesus, the Ephesians we call them. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. Those are strong words, by the way. By the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them, to the Jews. You lived in this world without God and without hope. So my first point here is we all have the same issue. All of us. Turn to your neighbor. I know you love talking to your neighbor, but turn to your neighbor and say, you have the same issue as I do. <laughs> Sin and separation from God was the issue. For Gentiles, they were completely cut off from God. They were not a part of God's chosen people. 
Gentiles were uncircumcised. Jewish men were circumcised. And it's important to note that circumcision was a physical sign of being a part of God's chosen people. It proved that they were part of God's chosen ones. It referred to cutting away the excess. That's what circumcision was, cutting away the excess. The Jews were religious about this. It was basically the sign that they were a part of God's chosen people, that they were saved. They were proud of their outward sign. The cutting away of the excess physically speaking wasn't what God wanted, however. He wanted a circumcision of the heart. You can see that in Romans 2, 28 through 29. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. God wants a cutting away of the excess that's in our hearts. The excess wants, the excess desires that we have. They need to be cut away. Jews had the physical sign for what was supposed to be a heart thing, but it became religious pride for them. Gentiles didn't even have the physical signs. They, they, just considered uncir- they were just considered uncircumcised heathens to the Jews. And I want you to understand this. God's people always tend to see themselves better in their own eyes than they see everybody else. Have you noticed that? After a while, we become religious, and we have to fight that all the time. We have to fight that attitude of arrogance that we're better than. Spiritual elitism. Religiosity always does that. It gives false perception of who we really are. Because it depends on what we do for God, right? Relationship with God continually gives us the reality check we need. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. It's not about what we do, it's about the relationship that we have with God, being in Christ. The relationship, it keeps you in check. I mean, you can go through all the motions of religion, stand up, sit down, kneel, say this many prayers that are memorized, do this, do that, do good works, all these different things that we come up with, be circumcised, all these things, no matter what religion you're talking about, it seems like there's a lot of things we have to do and don't do. Follow the list of rules. Don't break any of the commandments, all those things. And I'm not saying those things are bad things. They can be good things. But here's the deal. Doing all that stuff doesn't make you close to God. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ makes you close to God. And it puts a check in there because it's not about, well, I've done, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, so I'm good. I, when you have to spend time, when you spend time, I'm not, I said have to, when you spend time with Jesus because you're in relationship with him, there's an automatic thing that goes on because you don't know if you want to spend time with Jesus after you just blew it bad. And yet that's the first place you should go. So you go and you, 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 you have that relationship with him. You come to him with a humble heart. And, and guess what? He loves you and he forgives you and, as you repent. And all those things take place. And there's that right relationship that's always there. It doesn't become like, well, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do, so I'm good to go. Relationship knocks that in the head. That's why religion will never work and relationship always will. God wants a cutting away of the excess that's in our hearts. 
In verse 11 and 12, Paul is really saying, all you Gentiles and all you Jews were totally on different pages, and both groups were missing it. Gentiles had no hope, and Jews had a false sense of hope that was dependent on their outward sign. And the common issue between both groups, sin. We all have the same issue. They were all on the same level, and both had the issue of sin to deal with. We are no different today. We all have the same issue. Paul continues in his letter, Ephesians 2, 13 through 18, and he says this, and this is a larger portion of Scripture. It's like five verses, six verses. It says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Verse 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near to him. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. And that's point two. We all need God's answer. Number one, we all have the same issue. Number two, we all need God's answer for that issue. Verse 13 begins with two small words that change everything. But now. But now. We all have this problem called sin, whether we are Gentile or Jew, which would include everybody, by the way. But most people today group themselves differently, black or white, old or young, male or female, European, American, African, Asian, Hispanic. But we all have the same issue. It's sin. It's sin. But now, but God, but because we are in Christ Jesus, God has given us all the answer to our issue of sin, and it's the same answer for all of us. And that answer has a, has a name, and his name is Jesus. He is the answer to our sin issue. He is the answer to breaking down the walls of hostility between us. And let me give you a, a little caveat piece to this. Hostility... <coughs> Hostility will remain between people groups when one of those groups refuses to be united to Christ themselves, especially those that group themselves because of their behaviors or their own moral beliefs. In other words, there are groups of people that are grouped because of their sin. They will remain hostile toward true Christians because of what we believe biblically. That hostility will remain because of their unbelief. Christians do not have to be hostile towards them. Did you hear me? True Christians will see them through the eyes of Christ and remember how they too once were once in sin and not in Christ. But no unity or oneness can exist with those that demand you change your biblical stance on these moral issues. And, and as I talk about unity, don't, don't, don't 
put words in my mouth or, or, make me, or take my words and make them, make them say something different than what I'm saying. You can't have unity with people who just will deny Christ and won't stand for biblical morality. It, it will never happen. It gets back to that majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors. We can have unity in here even though we're different. We're not different on the majors, though. Right? We're in Christ. By Paul saying the wall of hostility has been removed between Jews and Gentiles, he's really saying that all peoples everywhere, all peoples everywhere, all peoples everywhere, I mean, even Peruvians, right? Even Peruvians, all people everywhere, everywhere can come into a place of unity, but it must be based on being in Christ. This was hard for the Jews to accept because they were God's chosen. They were his people. It was also important for the Gentiles to hear, though, because they weren't God's chosen people. And I think the Jews probably like to remind them of that. I mean, the phrase, you uncircumcised heathens. That's what they were thought of. Jews thought they were good to go. The Gentiles didn't even know the Ten Commandments. The Gentiles just needed the good news of the gospel while the Jews needed peace. They lived according to a covenant of rules following, or rule following that they could never line up to or live up to. Their standing with God depended on their ability to resist sin, and when they failed, they had to go through the ceremony cleansing to atone for their own sins. You know, one thing that I noticed about a lot of Christians in this day and time, and, and probably throughout the centuries, is we all eventually fall into this thing where we try to please God by not sinning. And then we sin, and then we fail, and then we feel bad, and then we kick ourselves to the curb. And we walk around defeated. You're human. You will fail sometimes. But no, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins. And as long as your heart's in a place and the motive of your heart is to be like, more like Jesus every single day, and as long as your heart's in a place where, where there's a motivation to seek him and be in relationship with him and you're growing in him, when you fail, he is so faithful and just to forgive you. And there's not one of us in here who doesn't fail. But you know, the devil is such a liar. Oh, you failed. You're a worthless Christian. You can't, you can't, you can't spend time with Jesus anymore. You failed. You're a loser. You, you didn't do this right. So when did the word of God ever say it was dependent on what we did or didn't do? Now, that doesn't mean that gives us a license to run around and sin all we want. Because if we love God, we don't want to sin, right? There's that balance. That balance that we, we love God with all of our heart, and when we mess up, we take it to him as quickly as possible. Paul says that all people could now be reconciled to God, Jews or Gentiles. They could come into the right relationship with him through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. Both Jews and Gentiles could be part of one body, the body of Christ. Two groups becoming one group, as we just read. Two peoples could now be one people as they plugged into the true vine of Jesus Christ and remained in him. And, and this was God leveling the playing field, so to speak. Nobody can boast about their spiritual superiority when it's all about what Jesus did for us and not about what we did for him. 
I mean, come on. Is there anybody in here who's righteous? Okay, is there anybody who's in Christ that's righteous? We're not righteous in and of ourselves. Our best efforts, the Bible says, are as filthy rags, and you don't want to know when you get into the study of what filthy rags is or what that is. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. But when we're in Christ, his righteousness is our righteousness. And God sees us as righteous because he sees you through the lens of Jesus' blood. I mean, wow. Wow. I can't be good enough, but because of what Jesus did, I have his righteousness. You are righteous, Denny, because of the blood of Jesus. We're all righteous. Eric, you're righteous because of the blood of Jesus. Man, you ain't righteous in and of yourself. Right, Mitzi? That's right. And she's not righteous in and of herself, is she? He's like, whoa, yeah. But because of Jesus, we're righteous. I, I think it's good to think about things like that and let it sink in. Because that's the gift of God. That's the gift of Jesus. The gift of his blood. Billy Graham used to say this. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Everybody, all peoples, everywhere, Jews, Gentiles, every kind of group you can think of, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We live in a world, guys, that's not fair. Have you noticed that? It will never be fair, no matter how hard we try. People will always end up treating one another unjustly. Life is just not fair. But we all have the same opportunity. There is level ground at the foot of the cross. It's level there. It's fair there. It, nobody can earn it. You, you, you all, we all have to go through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed upon that cross. It's fair. Salvation is offered to all people regardless of race or economic status. <clears throat> it's available to anyone through the blood-stained cross of Jesus Christ. Is the answer to our sin issue, and he is the only way to find justice in an unjust world. We all have the same issue, it's sin. And God gives us the answer. It's all the same for all of us, it's Jesus. We have a youth missions trip coming up. Anybody going to uh, El Salvador? Raise your hand high if you're going to El Salvador. A few of you here, you guys are going to El Salvador? We're gonna go to El Salvador. It will be life-changing for them and for the adults that go. I, I, there's, there's nothing like going out of the country on a trip where you spend time with a, a different people group that's not your own people group, and you're going for the cause of Christ. A trip like that can change your whole perspective. See, in America, we tend to see things through our American lens. Some of you aren't gonna like me saying this, but even, it even happens in the church. We Americanize the gospel without realizing it. We do it. I remember how good it was for me to go to Botswana a few years ago. We went to a small village about 40 minutes away from Habarone, the capital city, and we ministered at a couple of schools there, and it, it was mind-blowing how many kids were at these schools, two schools, and I think one, one city, I think it was. It wasn't a city, it was a, it was a village, 
a village that had no businesses, right? And those were the kids, that was just one of the schools. There were just hundreds and hundreds, and we were told that there's a thousand kids in these schools coming from everywhere. And, you know, you see all those faces, and God knows every one of their names. God has the hairs on their head numbered, just like he has the hairs on our head numbered. Why is there this sense, and, and, and excuse me for sounding pompous or racist in this comment, I, I really don't want to be, but why is there this sense in America, at least in, in the church, in some circles, that God and his kingdom revolves around us in America and not around everyone? I never really thought about that until I was there. I don't think I did that necessarily, but I saw how parts of me do go there inadvertently. I think we all do it. Every one of those children are important to God. Just as important as the children that are downstairs this morning. And that might not be a big revelation to you. He goes, oh, I knew that. But it's very easy to see things through our own lens alone and not through a proper biblical worldview. Our government takes steps towards socialism, which we despise and we should despise, by the way. And I hear those in church say things like, oh, the end is coming, Jesus is coming back, it's signs of the times, and it is. I'm not arguing that. But the reality, the reality of it is, is that horrific things have been happening to other people groups for centuries. Why all of a sudden when it happens in America, we, we freak out, oh, Jesus is coming back. See what I'm saying? Are you, are you hearing that today? Genocide, complete governmental controls that make serving God illegal. We had a missionary eaten in the bistro this week who said that in, in parts of India, it is now illegal to, to make converts. Like if you will get, what, 10 years in jail? I think it was, is that right? 10 years in jail if you, if you step out and try to make a convert? Horrific atrocities that are imaginable to most of us here in America. And, you know, the, the, the shelves go, go bare of toilet paper and we freak out and say, Jesus must be returning soon. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? I mean, Abby and I talked about this a lot because she went to Botswana with me, but we, 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 were, we shared a, a, a hotel room, and, and, and a father and daughter can do that. And, um, you know, it was an adventure because there was only one, like, double bed. And we, we made it work, and it was weird, but we made it work. More weird for her than me, probably. Yep, she says. Amen. Just for that, you don't get your 20 bucks for me saying your name. Is it weird, Alyssa? Even my wife thinks it's weird to be in bed with me, so that's just terrible. <laughs> Got to be unity in our marriage, and you know. But we talked about at night sometimes these things, how spoiled we are. We're a bunch of spoiled brats, is what we said. I mean, literally, that's what we said. Getting worked up about nothing when horrific things are happening all over the world. 
Why do we think that we are somehow more important than those from other nations? The ground is level at the foot of the cross, church. Everyone matters. The world doesn't revolve around individuals because they are more privileged or because they have the right skin tone. Eternal salvation is offered to all who will repent, to, who come to Christ. Jesus is everyone's answer. That's God's answer for our sin issue. We all have the same issue, but Jesus is the answer to it all. And Paul finishes up in chapter 2, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. He says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation. By the way, we, took, we sang about that today. I, I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I'm telling the truth here, I had no idea that that song was going to be picked, Firm Foundation. I had no idea that my daughter was going to read that scripture today. I had none of that. And see how God fits the service together. He just puts it together. But he said, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. What's the point? We are all offered the same privilege. We all have the same issue. God has the answer for all of us. It's the same answer. And we are all offered the same privilege. You know, the famous line from The Wizard of Oz, where I, I, I kind of love that movie. It's just iconic to me. I don't, but the famous line is, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And that comes to mind when I read this scripture. I understand that there are those that have different experiences than mine. But home is a wonderful word to me. It's where my family is. It's where I can take that big, deep breath of relaxation after a long day of work. It's peaceful most of the time. I'm going to have six grandkids, six and under here soon, so... I don't know if peaceful is the right word, but I love it. It's secure. Home is my favorite place to be. It just is. And I, again, I know that's not everybody's experience. I think that's how God wanted it. Paul's words here remind me of being home, not a stranger, not a foreigner, a citizen meaning a place where I belong. And I'm not alone because there are other citizens there, members of the family. And we are all part of his house, built on a strong foundation. Even Christ himself is the cornerstone which holds the whole house together. We are carefully placed and joined together as the walls of this holy temple where God's spirit dwells and lives. And he's talking about us as the body of Christ, the family of God. We have a, a little C church here, a local body that's chosen to be a family together, and we're a part of the big C church, which is the full, whole body of Christ, all of those that are in him. All of those. But even in this setting, we're the small C church, if you will. We're a family. We're a family. It's a great place to turn to your neighbor and say, you're a family. Your family not your a family, your family to me. Some of you are sitting by your family. So turn around and say to them, your family. And I'm sorry, but you can't choose your relatives. 
right? You can't do it. But we're family. Why do we meet as a church? It's because we all have the same, is it because we all have the same political beliefs? There's a lot of people who'd like to organize us that way. But no, that's not the reason we meet. Is it because we are all from the same generation? Look around, we're multi-generational. I don't think I'm ever going to be as old as Gail. <laughs> you know? He's older than dirt. Some of you are like, I'm older than Gail. What are you saying about me? I didn't say anything about you. I said it about Gail, so back off. <laughs> it's not because we're from the same generation. Do we meet because we all like the same music? No. Is it because we dress alike? I wish I, I had a picture of this this morning. I, Molly, Pastor Donnie's kids, which I guess I owe him 20 bucks a piece. I'll do that today. One day only. But Molly and Maddie are either, they're probably working somewhere, right? They walked into church. Molly is wearing these bib overalls. She's just, you know. And Maddie's wearing this nice dress. Two girls, not very far apart in age, coming from the same house, dressed completely different. We don't all dress the same, do we? That's okay, but that's not why we get together anyway. Is it because we all adhere to the exact same doctrine? Not even that, even though in the local body it's pretty darn close. We come together in this place because Christ has made us a family. There are no strangers here. All of us belong. I believe you belong the moment you walk in. And if you become one of those people that are plugged into the vine of Jesus Christ, this is a great place. Welcome home. If, amen, right? The offer is there for everybody. If someone walks in and says, I don't want nothing to do with Jesus, you're probably not going to be a part of the family then. You're probably going to leave, and that's okay too. That's your choice. That's the love, that's, that's how much love God had for you, to give you a choice. Doesn't mean we don't like you or you're not welcome here. Doesn't mean anything like that. The, 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 thing, the, the, the thing that makes us a family, the thing that gives level playing ground again is what? The foot of the cross. That's how we become family. We all belong. We have the same issue, all of us. It's sin. God has the same answer for all of us. It's Jesus. And he offers us all the same privilege to be a part of his family. What a diverse family it is. We are family, different backgrounds, different experiences, different ages, different skin tones, different gifts. I mean, even, even, even all of you, I, I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but even all of you that are considered Caucasian have different skin tones. Case in point, poster child for gingers. <laughs> it's like I'm allergic to the sun. I love the sun, but I go out and I turn lobster red. And some of you can go out there and just soak it up, like my wife, and she just gets tan. I'm like, why can't I have just a little bit of that? It doesn't matter. We have different skin tones, different gifts, different lenses we see through, different personalities, different numbers on the Enneagram scale or whatever that is. Different shapes and sizes. Look around. Don't tell your neighbor anything right now. 
different specific callings, right? Different talents, different ethnicities, so many differences, and yet we are a family. And I love that. We are his house. We are built on him. What a picture of unity that is. Oneness achieved through agreement, not sameness. Oneness because of our realization that we all have the same issue. That issue is that God has the same answer for us, and his name is, and we're all offered the same privilege, which is we are a family. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.